talk about how we feel deeply. How we feel deeply and still maintain wholeness. How do we feel our emotions and be present with them without being carried away from being our best self? So I want to explore this question of what it means to be really present with our emotional life and experience. How we stop ourselves from falling into the two places we often fall, sort of skill and charybdis of our emotional life. One is that we shut down, we don't want to feel, we seize up, we close. And the other is that we get lost, we wallow, we get overwhelmed, we get flooded. So, so often in our emotional experience, we go one place or the other. Either we stop, it's too threatening, it's too upsetting, we don't want to see it, we don't want to feel it, we shut down, we back away, we withdraw, or we fall in. We're screaming, we're yelling, we're in depression, we're in wherever we are that we've fallen into, right? Gotten trapped in our emotional place. And as always, the Fizetzner has a lot of wisdom to share with us on this teaching. I'm going to translate, it's a text of his from um, Derech HaMelech. It says, when a person has something distressing come to him, and he can't, he's sort of captured by it, he can't get rid of it, or even something joyful comes, and he's also just falling into and joyful, and falling into the joy, and there's no, there's no spaciousness, there's no ability to sort of be present with it. He says, when that happens, You're just a kind of guest house for the experiences of the world, which pass on through and come and go with him. And yet the essence of the person is absent. Puts it this way, he says, at first there were bad visitors, now there are good ones, depending on the world and on the day. And where are you? Where are you yourself? Right? Things happen. Something bad happens, all of a sudden we're caught in sadness, anger, response, whatever it is. Something good happens, all of a sudden we're happy. Great. For a little bit, as we're trying to hold on to the goodness. But where are we? We're just sort of getting buffeted around, right? Gone from place to place, from wind to wind, blown in every direction by our external experience, by the experience of the world. But he says... If a person is present in himself and in his house, then joy will not drive him crazy and worry will not compel him so much. But in order for a person to be present with himself, and he says, it's a great line, he says, And not to be like an entranceway which is trampled over by the events and the ideas of the world, right? You want to be somebody who's just like, you open the door and boom, whoever runs in the house, runs in the house, kind of Bugs Bunny, right, moment, <laughs> that you get run over, run over your face, the footprints on your face, the footprints on your chest, and you've just been overwhelmed by whatever it is that you've just experienced. In order to not do that, he says, we have to actually awaken in ourselves this hitlavut and hitpalut of holiness, that there's an actually an emotionality, an energy, and a commitment we have to awaken in ourselves 
that allow ourselves, as he says, to be present in our house, to be present in our house. That is, this image, which I think is a beautiful image, says we usually do one of two things. It's the two places I just talked about. We've got a house, and either some visitor comes and we're like, chain bolt the door, <laughs> close all the windows, put down the tree seam, right? <laughs> Don't want anybody in, nobody can see. That visitor is staying out because they are scary and they are not wanted here. Or it's like we open the door and the visitor runs right over our face and takes over our house and messes up all the cupboards and like comes moves in to stay. And the question is, is there a way that we can say, Ayeka, where, where am I right now? Is there a place where I can actually be present and sitting here so that actually I can leave the door open? I can leave the door open. And I don't need to shut anything out but I also don't need to be run over by whatever comes in. I can be present, he says, I can be present in myself and in my house, sitting here present, awake. This aspect of hito avut, awake and present, so that it can come and go. The experience of the world can come and go, and I don't have to be lost in it, and I also don't have to be distanced from it. I don't have to push myself away from it. Today, I was sitting with a friend, a very good friend of mine, and um, shared with me this really totally shocking news that had just happened to him, which is he had just discovered um, basically the clogged artery arteries, and he had an emergency um, uh, three stents put in. Right, the three out of possible four. He's having the fourth one put in this week. <laughs> it just happened. My age, right? Totally fine, he's doing fine and everything, um, but pretty shocking news. Right? And I could feel in that moment, oh, I could, I had a number of options to respond. Right? I could sort of be like, ooh, shut that down. I partially shut that down because I don't want to overwhelm him with my response. Right? Sort of his experience, I don't want to be like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to you, right? And Instead of shutting it down, I could sort of get lost in it and really get, you know, sort of caught in the fear that that could bring up in me. And it did bring up in fear in me. Right? It's like, oh my God, I could lose him. Somebody very dear to me, very precious to me. What does it mean that I had no idea, he had no idea, <laughs> stroke of, I don't know, luck, he felt a tiny bit of chest pain, went to get it checked out. They were like, you need to go to the hospital right now. <laughs> you know, he went, thank God, he's okay, everything's okay. But, but it just brings home that the ephemerality of life, the fact that we don't know what's going to happen, the impermanence of it all. And it was really, a, it was a beautiful opportunity for me right at the moment I was sitting with him. And there was the ability to say, oh, wow, I see this. I hear what he's saying. I see the fear in me. I see the concern. I see the kind of shakiness of just knowing the fragility of life. I can stop for a moment and say, hey, I'm just going to share with you, this is what I'm feeling at this moment without getting overwhelmed by it, without pushing it away, and with actually being able to use it to actually open me up a little bit, to feel a little bit more, to be a little bit more present, a little bit more connected. Now that was, uh, it was good conditions, right? Good conditions for me to do it. We were sitting down together, he shared me this thing, he sort of prepared me, he was like, I had something really crazy happen this week, <laughs> and he told me what it was, you know, so good conditions. But the question is, how can we keep that balance even in the more difficult conditions? And how do we keep that balance 
which in some ways is not a balance, but which is a total and complete opening. Because both the falling into and the shutting down is actually a refusal to open truly to the nature of our experience. What do I mean by that? That was a little bit tricky. So let me again, I'm going to return to the Pizetsna for a moment. He says another work of his. He says, there are many emotions in us whose opening is like a drip, weak and slight. Kalot v'klushot. But if one were to expand them and to actualize them, it would become a great river and stream of water which would never dry up. And if it does not expand it, it will be lost without ever seeing the light of day. For many of us, the Pizetzner claims, certainly in my experience, our emotions simply aren't fully manifested. Our emotional experience is attenuated, is limited, is weak, it's thin in some ways. And that's true for some people, it's not true for others, right? We have our different places we fall out. You can ask yourself, sort of, when was the last time you cried? When was the last time you really cried? When was the last time you really laughed? When was the last time you were really joyous? Like really joyous. Not like, oh, that was fun. But like, joy, right? Dancing, heart open, chest open, joy. Are you experiencing life fully in all its richness and wonder? Or do you feel slightly detached, slightly removed from life sometime, experiencing it as though it's through a veil or a fog, even subtly? When you feel your emotions, do they feel like this, this river, this stream of water, this cleansing, purifying, open experience? Or is it a little bit more like a turbid pool, right? Unclear, tight, blocked, twisted, not so clean. It's okay, however we experience it. It's all okay, however we experience it. But what the Pizetzner is pointing to is that when we really open to our emotions, there is this cleansing, pure movement which happens. And that genuinely opening is actually not overwhelming. The overwhelmingness comes from a kind of opening and falling into which is still an attempt to control and tighten and to capture around in some ways or to direct in some ways and not a true fully opening. Again, the language can be hard to understand. I'll give you an example of it, which I'll guess is true probably of most of you at some point in your life. There's some point in your life maybe where you felt sad or brokenhearted. And Hasidic terminology, the terminology is shvirataleh, brokenheartedness. <clears throat> and you felt like your heart broke open. And maybe you cried, and maybe you were really sad, and maybe it was painful. But it also felt actually healing, and open, and pure, and real. Right? So there was sadness. And not that it isn't painful. Sadness is painful. But it didn't feel closed, and it didn't feel hidden. There was something liberating about it. There was something purifying about it. We probably also had experience at times in our life where we felt sadness, but instead it felt closed tight, protected, turbid, crunched in on itself. That's the texture. Those are the two textures of the experience I'm talking about. When we're willing to genuinely, genuinely open, our experience of emotion, even painful, difficult emotions, has that open, clarifying quality. And we're not willing to open fully, which is fair enough, right? Because it's scary to open fully. (laughs) We're not willing to open fully, then it often has that closed tight, trapped feel. 
And you can notice that often when I learn this text with people, and people hear that the emotion is going to become this great river and stream of water, they say things like, stay away, that sounds scary, right? Who wants the great river and stream of water? That feels overwhelming, that feels like too much. And so it's a good question to just ask yourself. Does that feel too much? Does it feel scary? Is there a possibility of me being with the flow without being (coughs) fluttered by it? Can I surf that wave and not get smashed by it? Right? You know, I've never surf surfed. So apparently one of my fellow teachers here I just learned today is a surfer. I don't know. (laughs) I was a surfer. Um... But I did, you know, body surfing all the time when I was a kid, right? You know the, fear, the difference of the feeling, right? You're with the wave, you're riding the wave. The wave is the same. You're there. It's great. It's beautiful. It's exhilarating. You're flying to the beach. Or all of a sudden, you don't catch it quite right. You're turning over. Sand's going up your nose, right? The whole experience. And it's totally fine to feel scared of that. It's totally fine. Of course we're scared of having that experience of getting overwhelmed and flooded. And it happens to us. It's totally fine. And there's a wisdom in how we open and when we open. But it's also important to know that there's that place in you, a place you've all touched at some point where you actually opened up the whole way and it was okay. And it was hard and it was difficult maybe, but it was also liberating. And that place is always present for you. So why don't we do that? Why don't we just do it all the time? Why don't we just walking around open, heart open, chest open, feeling it all, ready to experience it all? So the Vizestner says, he says, what happens? Sometimes a person feels some discomfort within them. And he doesn't know if he needs to eat, sleep, or drink alcohol. And then the feeling disappears just as it came. And in truth, it was a kind of extension outward of one of the limbs of the soul, which desired to be actualized and to be aware with pure consciousness. And so too, because sometimes we have a feeling of joy or something similar. But because this emotion was not grasped, because a limb of the pure soul was extended and the person didn't know what to do with it or what he feels, he just felt a kind of rattling or convulsion of the soul. And so he drinks alcohol, eats, or does some otherworldly thing. Of course, in our context, we could add watch TV, go to the movies, have some chocolate, right? Whatever it is we each do to escape sometimes that feeling of discomfort, that soul rattling, that soul convulsion. So we experience something, right? It's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. And then we have a choice. And this is sort of the key place. I can say, oh, interesting. There's something unpleasant here. I wonder what that's about. (laughs) Let's try to open to it. Let's try to see what happens. If I'm willing to really be with that unpleasant sensation, what will come to me? What will open to me? What will I discover? Maybe that soul, which is desperately trying to reach out, to be heard, to be seen, have an opportunity to be revealed. But of course, a lot of the time what happens is we feel that convulsion and we reach for something. And you each have your favorite poison and, you know, it's okay, whatever it is. It's TV, it's chocolate, right? <laughs> it's talking with a friend, it's whatever it is. And, and it's not, these things aren't bad, right? I love chocolate, chocolate's great. Nothing wrong with chocolate. It's just bad when I use it to avoid some experience I'm actually having. And so the opportunity there 
really a tremendous opportunity is to say, oh, this is actually a little kind of bell of mindfulness, this little moment where my body, my soul, my heart, my mind is telling me, hey, hi, James, there's something here that needs your attention. There's something here that needs your attention. And we know it, I think it's often really helpful, so if you do this in a moment, to relate to ourselves as children. So if you know, your child came to you and was like, started nudging and whining, and there was some you know, difficulty there, you would sort of be like, oh, what's wrong? <laughs> what happened? Now what's wrong may just be like, they're hungry, and they need something to eat, and then they won't be nudging and whining, or something maybe they feel hurt about something, or they feel scared, who knows what's happening, right? Or say it comes to you with that distress, your initial term would be, if it's a child who's coming to you, it's like, oh, compassion, how can I help you? What's really happening here? How can I hold you in this moment? And it's the same invitation that we can make towards ourselves. That child in ourselves, that soul is saying, mm, something's uncomfortable, there's some stuff happening, there's something percolating, can I just turn towards you? Can I hold you in compassion? So the Pizetsu continues with this um, really extraordinary parable, he says. He says, it's like the priests of Molech, who would beat on drums in order that the father would not hear the killing of his son, pleading with him from amidst the flames of Molech. Bodily feelings roar to such an extent that the soul quakes pass in vain. It is a kind of miscarriage of the soul. It's very intense, this imagery. I think beautiful and also quite shocking when I first read it. Right? Yeah. It's like a parable of the priests of Molech. So there's, in, in, in the Tanakh, they talk about the, the rites of Molech, and that's generally understood. They say they pass their children to the fire. That's generally understood as um, child sacrifice, right? Offering your child in flames. That's how the rabbinic tradition generally understands it. So what would they do? They would beat on drums so that the father would not hear the killing of his son, pleading him from amidst the flames. Right? So the child is crying out, and the priest found would beat, 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 beat on the drums so the father wouldn't hear it. And he says, similarly, bodily feelings roar to such an extent that the soul quakes, pass in vain. It is a kind of miscarriage of the soul. So we have this, this soul inside of us, this place of wisdom, of openness, which is calling out to us to be heard. And there's some part of it, the priest of Molech, part of us, right, <laughs> which doesn't want to hear it doesn't want to hear it because somehow it's threatened, right? The priest, he's got a good job, who knows, right? <laughs> doesn't that want to take it away? Or maybe he really thinks this is really important. You know, he really buys into it and he thinks we need to do this or the harvest isn't going to come or the, the world is going to fall apart. And that's how we feel sometimes, right? It's like, if I don't keep everything together, if I don't keep the rites, the rituals, the order, everything's okay, somehow the world's going to fall apart. If I let this in, if I let this voice be heard, Something is going to fall apart. Something is not going to be okay. And so he pounds, 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 right? Pounds, pounds, pounds on the drum. It's powerful images, like pound, 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 thump, 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 the sound. And that's the sound. It's the sound of all those things we do, of talking, of eating, of distraction, of advertisement, of cars, of whatever it is, right? Internet. That's the drums. Sorry? Internet. Yeah? The internet? <laughs> whatever it is that does it for you, right? That sound that drowns it out. But it's also quite hopeful, I think, this parable, because it says there's this father, this father who 
Would he only, could he only hear the cries of his child? Of course he would immediately rush into the flames to save him. Of course. That would be his natural response. But they have to beat on the drums, because if the father would hear the actual pain that was present there, of course he would be responsible. And it's true of us as well. There's a part of us which really wants to know, which wants to hear, which wants to respond. And all we have to do really is give it that opportunity, the opportunity which says, I'm going to stop now, and I'm going to turn with some softness and compassion to what's happening inside. And when I do that, then I can really parent myself again. I can turn to myself with that love and compassion of a father, of a mother, and hold my own suffering, hold my own emotion, hold my own confusion in the arms of compassion. And it's scary to do this. It is scary. It's hard. But there isn't another good option. (laughs) Right? So if that worked, if it worked just repressing it, fine, go for it. (laughs) Zegesund, right? (laughs) But as we all know, the reason we're here is that we know it doesn't work. It doesn't work out that well for us when we do that. The truth is the pain just comes out in some other way. We suffer in some other way. We suffer from the very closing down and resistance. We suffer from the illusion of idolatry. We suffer from not being present with the truth. We feel it in just the nature of the experience itself. I mean, one, for me, it's one, like, gold standard test. Just, just looking and feeling like, am I tense or am I not tense? It's like, oh, tense. Oh, shutting down somewhere, protecting myself somewhere, tension somewhere, fear somewhere. Not tense. Okay. And it's okay. It's open. It's genuine. I'm present. Right? And the tension hurts. The tension hurts. And so you can just notice your own fear. Notice which part of you is scared and scared of what? What are you scared of showing? What are you scared of seeing yourself? What are you scared of letting others see? George Carlin said, I love George Carlin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if a cow laughed, would milk come out of her nose? <laughs> I feel like that's, it's like the milk coming out of our nose. We're all kind of scared of that. It's like how embarrassed or overwhelmed or overcome are we going to be if we really open to what's happening right now? <laughs> maybe embarrassed to ourselves, maybe embarrassed to others. Certainly it's often not socially acceptable to actually show what it is we're feeling, right, and being present with. To laugh, to cry, to shout, to dance, to collapse. Like, how embarrassing and how necessary, how necessary to really being free, to really being open, to really being true. Pizetzner says in another place, he says, the soul loves and needs to be emotional. And one of the examples he gives are scary stories. <laughs> like, why we like feeling those different feelings. And he says, if you don't allow that emotion to come out, if you don't do your avatar with emotion, then you get a sickness of the soul. Very interesting. It's like very just psychological language. It's like you don't let it out, it comes out and it bites you in some other way. 
And we see it, right? We basically do one of two things as we started with. One is we act out of that emotion in some way. And acting out means anger. It means violence, cruelty. We mistreat people in small and large ways. We wallow in it. We break down. We get overwhelmed. Which itself, interestingly enough, is often a means of avoiding the genuine emotion. It's a kind of more subtle escape. Because when we wallow, and as I say these things, first of all, as always, don't believe anything I say. (laughs) Just check it out for yourself. So just as I say these things, actually explore for yourself, is this experience true for you? So feel like, what does it feel like to wallow in an emotion? So when I'm wallowing, what I notice is, there's both something painful and horrible, and something, it's kind of like sucking your thumb. There's something kind of comforting about the wallowing, and there's something actually about avoidance, which is avoiding the actual, the sharpness, like the clarity and pain of whatever it is I don't want to feel. Right? There's something that's actually quite sort of sharp and exact there. I don't want to feel, and the wallowing is actually a kind of avoidance of that. And so these are various ways in which we act out, right? And then, of course, sex, TV, drugs, whatever, we numb ourselves out. Right? Again, acting out of that emotional state, to numb ourselves, to push it away. Anger, just to give another example, and you can check it out yourself, anger, actually another way right, to protect ourselves from fear. Right? So we express the anger, we get the anger, it's like, oh, there's actually fear there, which feels very vulnerable, very threatening. But the anger makes us feel powerful, in control for a moment, right? And it actually feels quite vivifying, quite strong. Or, we shut it down. And not just with numbing, but we shut it down so hard that we don't even know it's there, right? We oppress it. And the result of that is depression, anxiety, etc. I had one student on a retreat I led, um, an older woman who said she hadn't felt anger until she was in her 50s. It's pretty extraordinary. And of course, it's, it's um, you know, there are some gender biases to many of these things. Anger, usually harder to feel for women. Vulnerability, usually harder to feel for men. Humility. Um, there's a great study I saw. Um, American men, it was like, like some extraordinary number, like 40%. Felt like gratitude was like a, a negative emotion, right? <laughs> like a threatening emotion, right? Because it's vulnerable. If you're grateful, you can do it yourself. You're not in control. You're not independent. You're dependent on somebody else in some way. That's the nature of the expression of gratitude. So it's a great question to ask ourselves. You know, how much can we really feel these emotions crisply, clearly, openly? How willing are you to really feel your anger? Not to express your anger, which is a totally different story, right? But to really feel your anger, to feel the rage, the trembling, the tightness in the chest, wherever you feel it, to really feel that energy, the energy which wants to come out, right? Which wants to yell, which wants to shout, wants to hit, which wants to do something. How much are you willing, which is an act of actually tremendous courage, right? It's that sort of warrior place of the practice to say, I am willing to open to this, to be with this, to fully feel this. Even though it is painful, it is hard, is it a roller coaster ride? I'm willing to hold on, to just hold my seat 
and allow it to be present. Allow it to be open. Not fall into it, not push it away, and not act out. It's really challenging. But it's also incredibly liberating when we do it. There's this extraordinary freedom which is childlike, which is light. It literally lightens the body. It's joyful. It's joyful even when we're connecting with troubling and difficult emotions. There's a joy in the connection itself. There's a pleasantness in the very nature of presence, which is present for us even in pain and difficulty. Usually the first place people can notice this, done a little practice or been on retreat, is in physical pain. So you can have tremendous physical pain, but if you're present with the pain, it's amazing, first of all, how the pain doesn't hurt as much, <laughs> and second of all, in the pain itself, there's a pleasantness. There's a kind of joy just in the presence. It's not a denying joy. It's not saying the pain isn't pain. The pain is still pain. It still hurts. It's never good, right? <laughs> pain always stays bad. Nothing wrong with that. Important, actually. If you didn't feel experience pain, right, you'd be in big trouble. You wouldn't know when you were injured, etc. But there's a an okayness, a presence, a comfort, and a freedom in the presence itself, in the presence with whatever we are with. So this is just the beginning. Um, we're going to talk about this for a number of weeks, this process, how we continue this process of opening and presence, not falling into those two, those two um, skill and crevices of sort of repressing or acting out and wallowing and falling in. Um, and we'll continue that experience. For now, um, we'll stop here. And as usual, we'll open up a few minutes for questions, thoughts. People want to share an experience, anything you want. Um, the floor is open. I'll just sort of look around the room. If you have something to say, feel free to say it. How do you guide yourself through feeling anger for ways without expressing it on the outside? Mm, great. So, the first thing you want to do is actually turn towards your inner experience, right? So often the, the, the reaction to our emotions is, how do I express it, get it out, respond to somebody? Stop. And the first thing is just stop. Don't trust whatever response you think is the appropriate response to have at this time. It's probably wrong. <laughs> turn inside itself. So that's the first step. The second step is that we have to turn with tremendous compassion and softness and non-judgment to the experience, right? So we start to turn and we start to say, ugh, how, how can I be angry about this again? I always get angry about this. What's wrong with me? Very hard to be with anger like that. Because we're actually just adding to the resistance. So literally, in a, in a textured way, what I do is I'll turn to my experience, and the first thing I'll ask myself is, where do I feel the anger in my body? It's like, oh, tightness in the chest. Okay, tightness in the chest. So stay with the tightness in the chest. And then what I'll do is on the in-breath, I will breathe in the tightness in the chest. I will invite it into my body. I say, it's totally okay that you're here. You're welcome to be here. You're welcome to be present. And in the out-breath, I will try to soften into that experience. I'll soften into the tightness in the chest. What I mean by softening in is that I'm trying to get rid of this, the tightness. I'm trying to be fully intimate and present with that tightness. I'm trying to just say, I'm fully present with you. Again, the inhalation, I'll breathe it in. I'll say, you're welcome to be here. No need to go away. The exhalation, I'll soften into it. I'll often add some, some other phrases. So, first of all, I'll add things like, ouch, that hurts. Right? So just acknowledging, it's important to acknowledge ourselves that it's hard. No point pushing away the difficulty, be like, ouch, that really hurts, that sucks. 
right? So just acknowledge it. Nothing wrong with acknowledging it. And then anything else that can help you turn in compassion. So various things you can try. Um, sometimes, you know, I put my hand on my heart just because that helps me feel that sort of compassion and support. Sometimes I put my hand like this, like I'm cradling a child. And I feel like that I'm cradling this emotion of anger, this emotion of difficulty. Sometimes I'll try to picture myself as a child. So like I have a particular picture which I often use of myself as a young child, I'm like four or five. It's just that experience of compassion and caring for that child self of mine that I can bring to now this anger that's within me. So instead of being angry at it, rejecting it, telling it it's wrong, how can I just come with compassion? And then, you know, repeat, repeat prescription over and over <laughs> until a problem feels like a shift. And that's just what we do. We just come back and back and back and back until something feels like it shifts. And that can be many different things. It could be that what shifts is the fear that was under the anger all of a sudden comes out and we're working with the fear. It could be the anger just goes away a little bit. It could be it gets stronger and we're really able to really be present with the anger. It could be that it gets overwhelming at a certain point and we're just like, okay, I need to take a break. This is too much. I can't be present with it. All okay. All to the legitimate responses. It's just the question of how much wisdom can we bring to that that return and return and return. Um, I'm trying to avoid conceptualizing things while I'm sitting, and I'm having a trouble um, in two instances with not uh, visualizing things. Mm -hmm. um, the first is I'm using the, the tip of my nose and the, the breath coming in and out as an anchor, yeah. and when I find myself distracted, I come back to that anchor, but I inevitably visualize my nose there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also, when I hear sounds, I inevitably think about what that sound is and create a mental picture of it. And so I didn't really know how to go about not creating that mental picture in my head. Um, don't. Not. Don't try to not create the mental picture in your head. It's okay. Mental picture is what arose at that moment. No problem with that. Just notice the mental picture and don't get caught in it. No problem with the mental picture. No problem with the thought. No problem with the feeling arising. It's like, oh, you come back to the nose. A picture of a nose rises in your head. No problem. It's like, hi, nose. Going back to the breath, right? So we don't need to not have things arise. We don't need to get rid of anything. We're just trying to notice them. If you notice yourself getting caught in it, it's like, I'm obsessing about it. I can't notice the breath. Ah, then you try and lightly drop it and return to the breath. And no problem with those things arising. Last question. Say a little bit more about how the falling in is an avoidance technique yeah. and ways that you can prevent that from happening. Yeah. Um, I'll start first with a question, which I encourage each of us to ask ourselves, which is reflect on some experience when you fell, fell into an emotion and ask yourself for a moment, how did that serve you? Now, even if you know you. There's some way that your ego felt at that moment. There was some part of you that thought that is going to serve me. So, for instance, falling into anger. It's like, oh, it serves me because it's going to protect me. But if I fall into the anger, I start yelling and shouting, I'm going to be safer, I'm going to be protected. Falling into self-pity. Maybe it's going to protect me because I'm going to feel protected. If I express that self-pity, other people will come and they'll take care of me in some way. Right? So anytime we're falling in, there's some part of us, we're never out to get ourselves. It's important to know. Some part of us always thinks that we're actually doing the best for ourselves. We're actually helping ourselves. 
And so it's helpful to just try and stop and notice what part of me thinks it's helping me here. What does it think it's doing good for me? It may be wrong, but it's helpful to notice because when we notice, we're not as caught in that illusion anymore. So that's what it encourages every time. Start to just ask yourself that question. Ask yourself the question. Second of all, notice the pain of it. It's helpful to get out to just notice the pain. Just notice it. Just be like, wow, this freaking hurts, right? Like, this sucks. This does not feel good being caught in resentment or in right? It really hurts. That helps give you the impetus to say, okay, maybe I can take a step back and find a broader view at the moment. Um, so we have to end now. I run off to the north, uh, so I apologize. I can't chat with people. Um, this class is by donation. There's a little silver basket out there. <laughs> so please um, give generously. Um, if people are new here, could I ask somebody, could you put a piece of paper there? Could you paste from pen? If you'd like to receive the um, weekly emails, go out just saying if the class meets or not. You can put down your name and email address, sometimes I'm out of town, etc. If you put down your name and email address last time, I only actually got those physically today. So I only added you today. So don't worry if you hadn't gotten the message yet that you've been added. <laughs> if you got it today, you should see it in your inbox today. Um, wonderful sitting with you all. If you could please all help um, put the room back together. Um, and leave in a timely fashion so that reason it to lock up. That'd be great. Thanks very much.